about everybody's favorite subject, which is <laughs> ethics. What do you think? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, everybody gets excited about seeing the ethics officer. You got to go to ethics. It's a, it's a funny thing because because Ron told us that uh, and something we can all pretty well agree with that uh, the ethics uh, technology cannot be trusted with Homo sapiens because they invariably use it as a disciplinary action. And it's not a disciplinary action. People say, well, you assign somebody treason. Like you, you're, you might as well say, you got to hit this guy over the head or you got to beat the guy black and blue or something like that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, ethics is a genius piece of technology. And when it's applied correctly, it produces unbelievable results in a very short period of time. And in point of fact, it's something that everybody needs to understand because the three pillars of Scientology are ethics, the ethics technology, the personal technology, which is the counseling, and the administrative technology. These three things working together create a booming organization. Uh -huh. So so I'm, I'm very excited, actually, to talk about ethics because it's a uh, it's a subject I've had a tremendous amount of success with, obviously both on myself and helping other people through their own uh, their own conditions. Now, now, I don't want to go sort of prattling on just into some kind of a lecture here. Are, are there any particular points or the heated issues about ethics that you guys have heard about? Depending on the, the frame of reference, as far as um, could you give the listeners an idea of how when you got in, for example, I was just knee-high to a grasshopper when you got in, but what what was your experience with ethics as sort of a compare and contrast from the mid-early 70s to where, well, obviously, to the time that you got out, which would have been after I got out. Can you give us a compare and contrast of how we went from that to where the church finds itself now? Absolutely. Um I think the first and most fundamental thing to understand is that ethics is a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Ethics is not something, somebody doesn't assign you a treason condition. That would be a justice action where somebody's putting you into a certain assignment. That's and that's a very high ethics gradient. If somebody is not getting his own ethics in, that expression is always heard. If you're not getting your own ethics in, then the group has to bypass you to help you get them in. It, it doesn't bypass you to throw you into a pit someplace. It, it actually has to bypass you and assist you through these conditions. And that's when justice comes in. You're assigned a condition, da-da-da-da-da, and then you go and you do it, and then you're well supervised through it. When, when I was just in, in, at the London Org in 1975, um, it was it was definitely a personal thing. I, I I think in an earlier conversation that we had, we talked about that day. Mind you, this is my first the first thing I ever did in Scientology after my communications course was I went into the London organization and joined staff, mm -hmm. and I was put on the post of the ARC break registrar, <laughs> which means I would I would get on my bicycle and I would ride around town and contact people and and. Uh, uh, you know, invite them over for coffee or they would invite me over for coffee and we'd sit down and we'd talk about their upset and then I had 
an ARC break auditor who would take them into session, find out what was going on, and um, you know, blow the charge, find out what the thing was, and then recover them to their services if we could. Mm-hmm. And then correct anything in the organization that was out that would have caused this upset. This notion that people blow because of their overts is uh, is kind of a wild thing. Truthfully, they, they leave because they're upset. They leave because their ARC broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people will say uh, they're accused of blowing from the church because of their overts. No, if you have a very suppressive atmosphere, you get the hell out of there. Right. LRH talks about this in a number of references. For example, SPs and administrators. He says if you put an SP on post in, in an org in a senior position, you'll find staff leaving left and right. It isn't because of their own overts. It's because this is an oppressive atmosphere. I'm getting the hell out of here. The truth is everybody wants to do a good job. Here's an interesting question, and this this will give you a perspective of the ethics technology. How many different – now I'm talking to you, Carrie and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. How many different hats, jobs, do you have – how many hats do you wear in a, in a week? No, it's a Rough mir- estimate. A myriad number, wouldn't you say? Yeah, um, an estimate, 10. Oh. Because you, you probably haven't sat down and figure out what all these different hats are. But there is, for example, the tying your shoes hat. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm a shoe tire. That's the identity. Now I'm tying my shoes. That's, that's the activity. Now I have shoes secured on my feet. That's the result. Be and do and have. Mm-hmm. You follow? Yep. That's a hat. Now you've got a thousand of those hats. And some of them are tiny little hats like tying your shoes. You have them on uh, a little mental circuit, a little training pattern that just does it for you. The opening the door hat. If you wrote down all of your hats, you'd be busy for weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is when you, when you take it to a completely ridiculous level. Right. Do you understand? But every hat you wear has an identity an activity, and a result. I'm a door opener. I twist the handle, I pull, I do this, I exert this much energy, and the door opens. And my product is an open door. Uh, You know, you can get ridiculous. Or you could say, I wear the finance hat in the family. I am a mother, I'm a father, I am a parent, I am a a brother or a sister. You have all these different hats. Then you go into your office and you can be a manager, you can be a salesperson, you can be an administrator. Just in your job, you might have 30 different hats. Right. In fact, when I was on staff in the San Francisco mission many years ago, I, I was on an outpost in Los Angeles. I was on staff at the San Francisco mission, but I was on an outpost in Los Angeles where we had a consulting facility down there that fed us clients, fed us public. And I had 35 different precise hats that I wore and uh, I'd never really figured them out because the organization grew from five of us to now we have 260 of us and but I because it grew out of these few people we had a rather eccentric fit and uh, we were sort of key personnel because if we left the whole place would crash because we would leave with the knowledge we had in our heads, which is a major problem in corporations. You get a guy who's doing very, very well on his job, but he doesn't write the whole thing up. So when he's promoted and somebody replaces him, his replacement doesn't have any idea what he did to get this job into that good condition. Mm -hmm. The old expression, the new broom sweeps clean. So he goes in, 
Putin and starts all these new things, and the area crashes. So he walked into this area, a condition of non-existence, if you will. The guy that left the job was in a condition of power. This guy should have applied the power change formula and do everything the guy before him did. You know how this thing works. And I'm sure most of the people listening know about power and power change. It doesn't occur in the business world. Somebody's promoted off a post, somebody takes over, changes everything, and everything collapses. And that's kind of business as usual out there. Mm-hmm. But this is the subject of ethics. This is the, the Ethics is such a fascinating technology because it resolves identity, activities, and the product. That's all that it does. The conditions at the bottom, confusion, come up to treason, then through enemy, then through doubt, liability, non-existence, danger, emergency, normal, affluence, and power. These are the conditions. Each one has its own formula. Now, could you imagine somebody coming in new on a job and applying the non-existence condition, but he hasn't applied from confusion up? Do you follow? Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I come into your group as a registrar, but I've never been a registrar before. I don't know anything about regging. I don't know anything about it. In fact, I don't even know if I want to be a salesman, but that's the job I go on to. But you see, I have doubts about it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little confused about it. I don't know what it is, but I apply the non-existence formula, which is the wrong formula. Mm-hmm. And like Ron says, these are natural laws. You must apply the formula of the condition you are actually in. And if you don't, if you apply any other formula than the one you're actually in, you go down the conditions. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, this is this is quite amazing. I mean, these are spiritual things. They're spiritual. Make no mistake about it. So, so here I was in the London North. I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm on this post of the ARC brick register, just trying to figure it out as I'm going. I'm actually quite confused, but at least the thing is going because this is the nature of the thing. I took it over from a guy who uh, who then moved on to another post, and, and so I'm just handling the ringing telephone and so forth and so on. And one day I came in, and the phone isn't ringing. It's just not ringing. I, I don't. I really haven't finished coming out of non-existence yet. It's uh, just. It's gotten dangerous for me because everybody knows I'm the air. Seabrake Reg, I've got my comm lines out. This is what's needed and wanted. So I'm kind of working through the non-existence. But then you get into a danger condition. And man, that day the phone just stopped ringing. And I'm going, okay, so uh, what's happening? The phone stopped ringing. And this goes on for half a day. <clears throat> and my senior, the dissemination secretary, at that time it was in Division Two, that post, he comes over. And says, okay, Mark, uh, I want you to go over here to the side and I want you to read this reference. It was the danger formula. And I want you to do that. Now, mind you, this wasn't justice. This was just having because I, I wasn't in any kind of trouble. I just wasn't yet familiar with how everything operates here. So he said, very kindly suggested, I want you to read this. And when you're done, come back and see me. And he sat down at my desk and the phone started ringing again. I mean, just like that, the phone starts ringing. Uh-huh. And I stood up the side and I was sort of casually looking at this reference, but noticing that the phone is continuously ringing and Hamish is just handling its traffic. So I went back to him and said, hey, Hamish, I, I can do this. I, I, no problem. I can do this. I don't. I, 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 I. And he said, no, Mark, I want you to read. But finally he said, okay. He relented and he stood up and I sat down and the phone stopped ringing. Wow. And uh, I'm just sitting there. I'm just sitting there in silence. And uh, Hamish was standing there over me, watching. <laughs> and I looked up and said, "You know, maybe I should read this reference." <laughs> <laughs> See, 
he said, good idea. And I moved out to the side, and I, and I did the danger formula. And uh, bang, I sat back on the post, and bang, the phone's ringing again, and I'm, okay, uh, what are these conditions? Well, so I, I made a serious study out of these conditions formulas. Here's fascinating stuff. Lacking in every business I ever consulted, and if they just had this piece of tech correctly applied, oh, my gosh, it would, it would save their Bacons. Now, one of the things you commonly see in the church is that people are assigned a lower condition. Mm-hmm. But as we were earlier speaking, when you're doing something, it has to be real to you. You have to find your own agreement. In it. It's a personal integrity issue. And uh, you need to understand why is this happening. Nobody can enforce a condition. On it. There isn't anybody probably listening to this who has worked in or around the church, who wasn't assigned the wrong condition, who wasn't told they were in treason or confusion or whatever, when they actually weren't. Uh, Maybe they were just in liability, you know, maybe they were just in danger, whatever they were in. But the fact of the matter is, the person himself must apply correctly the formula that he is actually in. And if he doesn't do that, his statistics go down. Yeah, a wrong indication is a wrong indication. That's right. Now, when a person's statistics go down and he applies that thing and it doesn't handle it, he's applying the wrong condition. This is a real example. When I went into an organization in Cincinnati, Ohio, this again many years ago, I was actually there to do something else, but when I saw what was going on, okay, this is necessary. And this happens so commonly in the church. You know, you, you manage by statistics, and the statistics going sharply up, it's affluent. If it's going up, it's normal. If it's flat or slightly down, it's emergency. The trends of these statistics tell you specifically what to do now to have this statistic climb up. This organization had crashed, and its statistics were were pretty flat in a very low range. I think that's an emergency condition. Mm-hmm. So I, I get everybody busy on their posts, just doing what they're doing while they're doing it, instant having them on things and so forth. And I came back that night. I left some keys or something. I was going to get them. And all of these people were still on post. This is like 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you people doing here? They said, well, you know, we're just trying to handle backlogs. We're trying to just catch up. i got to get my stats up. Right. Well, now, a statistic is recorded for a very precise period of time. Oh, this is true. a 40-hour work week. You get the idea? Mm-hmm. So this statistic is, say, in a normal condition. But to get it in the normal condition, the guy spent 10 more hours this week on the job to get that statistic up. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually enough statistic. It's a false statistic. Right. Because th- this statistic is measuring... 10 additional hours of work to get that product, to get that trend. If he had ended it at 40 hours, his statistic would have been downtrending in emergency. Mm-hmm. So because the statistic is uptrending, he applies the normal condition. And in a normal condition, of course, you don't do you don't change anything. So now what he's doing is he's spending until eight o'clock every night there. And if the statistic starts to waver, he just spends more time on post. How many staff members have you ever known who were there at midnight? <laughs> My hand got raised. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. They're there till all hours of the night trying to quote-unquote get their stats up. Now, this is just a false stat. People who report false stats, it's an automatic liability assignment. Mm-hmm. There's something else missing. And this unusual solution he's coming up with is taking time away from his family, from whatever he wants to do on his own damn time. And people get frustrated because, oh, I've been applying normal, but wait a minute, wait a minute. 
You're not actually doing your job if it takes you 10 more hours to get the thing. So you're not applying the correct condition. And because of that, these people were just confused because they had not been applying the right condition. So you go to the next lower condition. That wasn't the right condition. You keep going to the next lower condition because they keep doing these arbitrary things to get their stats up. Which false report. Right, which don't get reflected in the actual statistic that shows up on a graph, so it's a bit of a hidden camouflaged hole in a way that there's something else going on. Camouflaged hole. Yeah. Exactly. But management manages by statistics. And they don't see and that. by managing by this statistics, yeah, you think this is going great. And, and we thought this place is going good because the statistics were okay. But when I walked in there, these staff, honestly, were drawn, dehydrated. I mean, geez. Nobody was happy. Nobody was buoyant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, the, wow, this, there's some false reporting going on here. Well, so this is one discovery that I made, is that they're trying to get their stats up by staying later at night. I kicked them all out of there. Next morning, we had a staff meeting, and I said, here's the deal. Your ass is mine from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock, and then I want you to get the hell out of here. Tonight, you're all going to a movie. Mm-hmm. And they looked, nobody had seen a movie in how long? I, I, a movie? I can't possibly do that. I, what, what's going to happen to my post? Your post will take care of itself. We're just going to put the correct technology in place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did that. And this place turned into an effortless, fun game. Uh, you know, it gets up to 5 o'clock, and, and I'm walking around the place, and people are going, looking at their watch, and I say, look, here's the deal. You've got to get it done before five, because at five, you're getting the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. So people got more efficient. They weren't wasting any time on post, and they started to really figure out what is the problem? What is the right reason my stats aren't going up? And it all, always came down to some obvious things. So the misapplications of ethics uh, in the church have given people a very bad impression of ethics. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being in treason. Uh, for example, if, if you haven't figured out what all the different hats you wear are, you're probably wearing many hats at the same t time. Mm -hmm. Is that real to you? Sure. Yeah, that's confusion. You just get confused. Because let's face it, if I'm a registrar and I'm a manager, the identity of a registrar is a counter-purposes to the identity of a manager. They have a different identity, different activity, different product, different result. Or maybe I'm the finance guy and I'm responsible for income and I'm also the registrar. So that now as a registrar, I sit down and I'm trying to get income. This is wrong priority for a registrar. Mm -hmm. You follow? So, so in, in effect, I can have 20 different hats. It's not a problem. But if I wear them all at the same time, I am a mass other encounter intentions. I'm confused. So, in confusion, you sort out your identity. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, first of all, you get confused. That gets you located, and then you go, okay. You pick a hat out of this pile of hats that are in front of you and all around your head, and you say, okay, I'm the registrar, and uh, you know that you're the registrar now. You move up into enemy, and you identify all of these other intentions that are not the registrar. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very sensible, even if it's one of my own hands. Well, how can me being a father be counterintending? 
it's it's not at all counterintuitive when you're being a father. But when you're being a registrar, it is. I, I actually had an interesting encounter as a, uh, running this particular facility, and I was newly married. I just finished this week. It was a very good week, and everybody was still sitting in my office there. We just wrapped up the weekly meeting, and uh, it was very cheery and stuff. And in walks my uh, new bride, my wife. And she had a little package for me. And, of course, this is kind of odd because uh, nobody knows how to relate to her. You know, she's, she's, she's Mark's wife, but she doesn't work in this facility. Mm-hmm. She just came walking into my office and walked down the length of this table. And she came over and she spun my chair and sat on my lap. Mm. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a very embarrassing moment that passed. And, and the staff immediately started to file out of my office as though I, I was any moment going to have my way with her on the board table. <laughs> but uh, I said, listen, and I, and I, I too abruptly, I'm afraid, stood up and I, I put her to her feet. And I stood up and said, hey, thanks, guys. Great week. Uh, we'll you know, see you tomorrow. And, uh, and they all kind of embarrassingly shuffled out of my office. Okay. You know, my staff doesn't ever have to be embarrassed about being in my office. But, but I was confused as well, because suddenly, why am I confused? Why is everybody confused? It's because some hats got jammed together. Mm-hmm. And I realized this. And I pulled over a chair and said, honey, have a seat here for a second. And she was a little flustered. And and thought, what did I do? She, she stepped in the punch bowl or something. Right. And I sat her down and I said, I said, here's the deal. This is what just happened. I'm the director of the facility, and you just walked into my office, spun my chair, and sat on my lap. I'm the director of this facility. Nobody sits on my lap. But that just doesn't happen in this place. This is a business. In this office, I am not your husband. I am the director of this facility. Mm-hmm. These people can come in and chat and da 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 da. They are, they are here because they're supposed to be here. But you came in and uh, it's just not a hat anybody could think with. Now, mind you, this is a pretty bright crew that I have and everybody got over it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid my bride didn't. Mm-hmm. For several days, in fact, the Gates of Paradise were closed. But <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, uh, she, she did come to realize that, well, well, well I, but I'm your wife. Yes, you are my wife, but not in this office. When I come home, I don't take calls from the office. I'm 100% there mm-hmm. to do what we need to do around the house, to do this, to do that, to do whatever. And I don't take calls from the office. I am your husband. But here, I am the director. So, so in other words, it, it's In other words, it's important to make but, the distinction when one is wearing uh, one hat or another, and and then you can kind of subdivide that down from one dynamic to another, also, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Every dynamic breaks down. You have hats of all descriptions. But now what happens if you're sitting at your desk as a salesperson and you're playing solitaire on your computer? You've dropped your sales hat, in other words. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. 
suddenly you're not being a salesperson. You're being a solitaire player. Right. <laughs> uh, or you're or you're doing whatever you're doing that is not your job. And if that's going on, you're continually dropping your hat, which is you're in treason to your fellows mm-hmm. because they expect you to be the salesperson. Do you follow? Mm-hmm. This is called betrayal after trust. I am, I am on the post of salesman. Uh, you know I'm a salesman. I know you are your post. And we expect each other to do our jobs. And this is what makes a powerful group. Mm-hmm. But if suddenly I drop my hat and I'm doing this other thing, it doesn't even matter what I'm doing. If I'm not being a salesperson, I've dropped my sales hat and I need to find out that I'm a salesman. Now, a salesman has many hats. He has a promoter hat. He has, he's never empty-handed. He's always got something to do with the sales hat going on. Mm-hmm. But solitaire is not one of them. No. Does this make sense to you? It does. It no, it, no. it also begs the question, um, and this 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 is a, a a point of contention with people very often when you are dealing with ethics, and we we haven't gotten into the the latter period of how ethics has been treated differently and is asserted on people, but you get into the responsibility as a bitch. Uh, vein of things when you try to express to people that they need to wear their hats and then they feel it forced upon them. So my question would be, how do you get someone, whether they're in the church or they're just a sales manager or anything else, how do you get somebody to swallow that pill of responsibility when it comes to uh, conditions either on their job or in their marriage or, or whatever? What, what what do you do? Well, maybe it's not their hat. Well, may, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's not their hat. I mean, it's an int- I, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, and this speaks, Jonathan, to the the two reasons why productivity is failing in an organization. Number one, bad hiring, and number two, not training people on their jobs. Mm-hmm. Those two things, when you look out in the business world, are unbelievably absent. They don't know how to hire, and so they end up hiring a bunch of brain stems. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And then they put the guy on a job and expect him to just do the job. Oh, he was a salesman in another company. He's a salesman. He knows how to sell. But wait a second. You have hats in an organization. You have, for example, the staff member hat. This is the hat that all staff have in common. This is the way we behave with each other as staff. You know, you have manners and so forth. So there's the staff member hat. There's the copy operator hat. There's the how to answer these newfangled telephone hat. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of different hats that a person wears on a job. If you just plop him in the chair and say, you're the salesman, and walk away from them, you've got a confused person on your hands. Mm-hmm. Now, if you try to enforce a particular job on him that he's never been trained for, it violates a very basic principle. Mm-hmm. And LRH even points out that you never use discipline when the education 
hasn't gone in. You educate the person first. If he's not trained on his job, you have no reason to discipline this guy because it's your job to train him as his manager or to see that he's trained for his job. Mm -hmm. So if you have to enforce someone to do the thing for which he has been paid and for which he gets a paycheck from the organization, these are the things he exchanges with his fellow teammates. If you have to enforce this upon him, he is certainly confused about his role in this group. And this has to do with uh, basic orientation. When you bring in a new staff member, you orient him, you introduce him, you say, these are your various hats. And then in a separate area, he's trained in the jobs and the protocols and security for the building and these sorts of things. And when he's finally put on his job, he knows how to do his job. He's actually excited about it. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, training has two purposes. One, raise the person's willingness to experience the motion of his job. And two, have the ability to control these motions. Mm-hmm. When he's willing to experience the motion of selling and able to control the motions of selling, he's a trained salesperson. And that describes every hat in the organization. You can't just put a person on a job and expect him to do it or what you've got is instantly a liability because now everybody around him is having to help him do his job and now he feels badly about it and it sucks management attention and everything else. Mm -hmm. If you have to enforce the person onto his job, he never knew what his job was in the first place. Why did you take this job if you didn't want the job? And you might get some pretty wild answers. Well, I didn't really want the job. What I wanted was to pay my frickin' rent. Right. Mm-hmm. It was out of necessity uh, level. Yeah. Yeah. I just needed to pay my bills, man. <laughs> you know, I figured who can't sell? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you, for sure. <laughs> you can't sell. But, uh, you know, you come in, you you have all these credentials and so forth. You You want to do the job. Now, People walk into your organization and you hire them because of their resume. But you don't actually discover what their actual intentions are, which is to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Do you follow? In other words, this person was confused when they walked in the door. Their stable datum is I got to pay my rent. I need a job. Well, to, to interject. And. Uh, um, we're, we're, we're talking about a, um, at this juncture, we're talking about a third dynamic activity where this person is working in some sort of business environment and has the necessity in order to pay their bills and survive on the first dynamic and or the second dynamic. They've taken a job maybe that uh, they weren't suited for or they were ill-hired or they're just in confusion on that job as they're new. What have you? You have all these different aspects, but uh, how do you, how do you roll something like that back with somebody to to help handle that situation other than than fire them? What, what's what's the solution? And I know that you mentioned that that hiring is a big issue as far as from a business aspect. But for the listeners, uh, if we're looking at it from a first dynamic viewpoint, where would we go from there? 
first of all, to recognize that when you set up to solve a problem and the problem doesn't solve, you're solving the wrong problem. Right. This wasn't actually his problem, the new employee's problem. It, it isn't actually your problem. It's a problem you have inherited from your your uh, establishment division. They hired the guy. They were supposed to train him and give you somebody who could actually do the job and wanted to do the job. Mm-hmm. It's in the establishment division where we find personnel, communication, and, of course, the ethics section. So when a recruiter sits down, one of his primary jobs is to find out what condition this person is actually in on the job of selling. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he passes you a bad product, you can't then take it on as your job and ignore the fact that this other person in your organization is in treason for not doing his job. In other words, it's a cascading effect. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the problems of an organization, they all roll back to the establishment division and the executive division. Mm-hmm. And those basically boil down to bad hiring, uh, not training people for their jobs, not having an administration skill, and these sorts of things. And those problems reflect then into the organization. Now it comes over to me, the sales manager, who's dealing with a, who has a complete lemon. Now it's my problem to fix. Mm-hmm. You follow? This is one of the reasons why executives get overworked because they have people in their area who aren't trained for their jobs. This is a bad hire in the first place. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, now, if it's, it's an issue of developed traffic or becomes developed traffic based off of the inability of the recruiter and, and uh, establishment division. In other words. Exactly. It's very necessary that you pull the string and find out where did this problem actually start. And it was started with the people who actually hired this person. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as, as this person, salesperson, I, I discover this thing. Now, I could go in and bypass and you know help him through his conditions and bring him up the line. I could even train him. But that's not my hat. Do you follow? Yes. That's the hat of that division over there. So what I would probably do is refer him back to that division. Say, it's your problem, you fix it. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about this condition of PTS. PTS sort of begins with, with the impulse to take on somebody else's problem as your own. And this is a source of major stress with executives. If I have an incompetent staff member who is a bad hire, this is actually my inherited problem. And if I continue to deal with it, I validate the guy who hired him. Right. So the way I would handle that scene is to walk this guy back to the establishment division and sit him down and say, look at these stats. Look at this, look at this, look at this. This guy might have lied in his recruitment interview, lied on his resume. Maybe you didn't do a... um, production check of his earlier employment, whatever it is. But this guy is not my problem. He's your problem. As a matter of fact, having him in my area is worse than having nobody in my area. <laughs> you fix it. Uh-huh. Now, and how does this apply? How does this apply on a first dynamic level? Well, well, it applies in every dynamic. I mean, if, I mean, 
when you're recruiting for a a marital partner, for example, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, you might find out too late that this guy got into the relationship because he was sexually attracted. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? Well, it was, uh, you know, the sex, of course. And, uh, hey, <laughs> that's all I can think of. Mm-hmm. This isn't a relationship. This isn't a second dynamic. This isn't a creative partnership. It's amazing the number of people who are definitely not hatted on relationships. They don't know what wearing a hat is. Who wears what hat? It doesn't matter who washes the dishes. It only matters that somebody has the hat. Somebody has the hat of this. Somebody has the hat of that. You have to have some kind of order in the thing. Otherwise, you just depend on love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I, I lived in India for years, and uh, they, they have arranged marriages over there. And when I first arrived, I, I couldn't get my wits around marrying a woman I had literally never met before. But you know what? The system's worked for thousands of years. And it's worked because these are the woman's hats, these are the man's hats. They each willingly take them on, mm-hmm. and they learn the ARC triangle as they have these exchanges as they go on. And they're fantastic marriages. But there's none of the goo goo gaga stuff going on. It's not an Adele song. <laughs> right. Well, Adele has a lot of songs that talk about unhatted people. <laughs> now, this isn't a mechanical thing. Um, obviously, you need to know what your purposes are. I, I mean, I I had a relationship once. I just absolutely loved this girl. She was fantastic. But she was on a completely different track than I was. Either she's going to have to compromise her track, or I'm going to have to compromise mine. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not make for a strange, a, a strong relationship. Both of you are strong, and you get stronger when you exchange with the other person what that person needs, and that person exchanges back to you what you need in all these different areas of the life. Mm-hmm. And that's a strong exchange. Ethics goes out when the exchange goes out. When you get a guy sitting in his computer counting cards, uh, doing solitaire, uh, you look at his stats. If they're in screaming affluence, you leave them alone. But if they're emergency trending, if they're down, that's it. Mm-hmm. You have to take action. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's not in the right condition to be playing solitaire. But th- this is the fundamental of, of the ethics thing. It's maintaining an exchange factor. Mm-hmm. What is this person supposed to exchange with the group? What does the group exchange back to him? And what does each of your hats exchange? Because remember, the hat is a B to a half. It's an identity, an activity, and a product. And a product, by definition, is something which is created and has exchange value out of the area where it was created. So all these hats are about exchange of product. And when you go into lower conditions, it means that whatever hat it was you were pretending to wear is no longer exchanging any product. 
So and you've got to rehabilitate that. You've got to bring it back to life. Right. So you could assign this person, for example, the, the, this trouble one, troubled person we were talking about earlier. You could assign him a, a condition of confusion because he's clearly confused. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what he's doing. But that would be a little unfair because he was never trained in what to do. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to education where a person has to has to understand the specific definitions of what they're dealing with before you can ever ever introduce them to the condition. They have to know what a hat is and what exchange is and what their post product is and you know your product clearing type ideas for them to understand all of these basics before you can even introduce them to to conditions and put them put them at the reins of their own fate, in other words. That's right. And the training is an ongoing cycle. And in the absence of training, you have confusion. Mm -hmm. Now look at the society today. It's an absolute confused mess. I, I mean, I, we have bases, military bases all over the world. I mean, what we spend for military in one day would feed every starving kid on the planet. Yeah. Now, now I don't want to get goo-goo on you, but the, the truth matters, there's huge waste going on. And this comes back to your point, Jonathan. The education system has been designed to make robots, people who can answer bells and do what they're told. Creativity is destroyed. Mm -hmm. You know, the genius of childhood is vanished by the end of high school. And, and that becomes contagious into our businesses. Mm -hmm. People think, you know, you owe them a job. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, it's just that our businesses are inheriting the liabilities being turned out of the school system. Mm -hmm. And this is why you need to hire the production history in mind. What is, this, what is this person's ability to create a product? What is his history of creating actual products, things that have that he has created which had exchange value around it? You get his history on that, and you won't miss on hiring. And then you validate that history with his early employers. Now you have a good hire. Now you bring him into your organization, realizing it is your organization is unique and not like the organizations he's worked in before. So he needs training for his jobs in this organization. Mm -hmm before any discipline can ever be applied. Based in the church. So right. Uh, they used to train us tremendously before we even got a post. Remember you had to be staff status too. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had all your basics in. You knew half of volume zero. You knew what you were doing before they even put you on a job. Mm -hmm. Now you had the tools if you got into trouble to get yourself out of trouble without having your boss have to come over. But that basic training is not available in any business I have ever consulted in the last 40 years. Anyway, that's, that's the place of ethics. If management is not training their staff on a pretty continuous basis, because in today's environment, continuous education is kind of the rule of thumb. Uh -huh. But if the manager is not training his staff, he's lost the plot. And, and he's handling all sorts of other things that he should be handling because his staff aren't trained. Mm -hmm. so That's an ethics problem. So let's let's kind of change the focus and widen it out a little bit and uh, jump back a bit to 
what was going on in the church and what where all of this applies to what happened with upper management and the education level that these people had that were that were at int or below but were in the higher echelons. Uh, what effect, from what you can see now, in retrospect, obviously, did that that specific type of situation have to lead us to what we have today with the corporate church of Scientology? Well, first of all, I understand that, you know, we out in the field and in missions and the orgs and stuff, uh, uh, certainly it was the case with me, where we always thought that, you know, up the lines where LRH is and so forth and then since the 80s is just at the international strata boy these guys really know what they're doing the streets you know flow with honey uh, everybody is an ARC it's wonderful up there but the truth is the opposite was the case we were having a ball in the field I know at the mission it's the most fun I ever had it was an ideal scene. Everybody was rocking. Everybody was doing very well financially. Things were booming. And uh, it turns out that the management personnel who were coming down to us uh, probably came down to us for one reason, because they wanted to have fun, too. And it, it just wasn't fun up at Int. Mm-hmm. Everything was about a statistic, and you've got to do this. And they would come in with these dour faces, and you think, what's happening? Such a dour face. You would think that the higher up the organization they went, the more OT they would be, the lighter they would be, and so on. But that mm-hmm. wasn't actually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, the more able you were up lines, the less you were allowed to do your job. That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were being harangued and working unbelievably long hours, and wait a second. There's a condition assignment here someplace, and it was always you who were low on the conditions. It was never your boss. Uh, it was his boss's job to tell him he was a scumbag. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't tell your boss he was, you know, a wildly unethical scene. Now, we started, I, I, in my case anyway, in Clearwater, I started to hear about these. Um, things that were going on up line um, after the lady died at the Fort Harrison mm-hmm. the church published uh, in their Freedom magazine something that they put into every St. Petersburg Times newspaper got out to the whole community and this entire piece was dedicated to defending David Miscavige from all of these accusations. The whole piece had nothing to do with promoting Scientology. It had nothing to do with helping people. It was just this unbelievably weird PR piece that said, no, DM is not beating people. Um, this person was an SP. This person was this. This person was a degraded. It was the, it was the most interbulating issue I had ever seen published from Int. That was in 2010. Mm-hmm. I knew, boy, there's some serious out ethics up there because it doesn't make any difference if DM was beating people or not. Nobody was talking about, did the guy get helped? I mean, what do you, is anybody beating anybody? 
it just completely fractured my idea of what was going on up lines. And since then, of course, I've had many calm cycles with friends who worked up there. And uh, boy, did I get an education. But I knew down at Flag, because I was going over this with my MAA and several other MAAs, their misapplications of the conditions formulas. Mm -hmm. For example, the doubt uh, condition. You know, you examine the actual intentions, you examine the statistics and so forth and so on, and you decide based on the greatest gifts, the greatest number, whether you're going to attack it, suppress it, help it, whatever. Well, I was in a doubt condition as regards the church in 2010. And uh, so I went into uh, the FSO and said, I'd like to see the church stats. And it was like I'd kick the guy in the, in the stomach. <laughs> He said, what do you want to see the stats for? I said, well, I'm, in, I'm doing a doubt condition. And uh, in order to complete the condition, says examine the statistics. Well, I'm looking at the statistics of the church. I've just been noticing some out points. I'm getting to the bottom of it. Couldn't see the stats. I went to OSA, the, the Office of Special Affairs. And uh, boy, these people have no ARC at all. <laughs> And I was like, and in fact, they're meeting with me in the bank building, and I'm, I'm sort of surrounded with these guys. And I said, look, I, I, I want to see the stats. I, you know, just here's the this most sophisticated computer known to man in the room with us. I said, this is the iHelp computer. It's got every, literally every piece of data known in Scientology, including all the stats. I would just like to get in there and look at a few international stats. I want to see the number of new people gotten in over the last three months. I want to see book stats. I want to see these things. And I had this one lady who I was, who was the talker for that team. And she just kind of laughed and said, Mark, I don't even know how to find the stats in that machine. And I said, well, fortunately I do. <laughs> I've done projects. I've done projects that involved you know, looking through this, I, I can I can find the stats. You guys can all leave the room if you want to. I'll just go in there and get what I need. They refused to show me any church statistics. I said, well, here I am on the doubt formula, and I'm trying to resolve my doubts. And I have doubts about the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. And to resolve my doubt, I need to look at statistics. This is what it says. And uh, no joy. So what that told me was the intentions of this group were to suppress information from mm -hmm. inquiring minds. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something? Uh, certainly. Uh, what reason did they give you for not showing you the statistics? Oh, just, uh, you know, well, oh, we can't show you the church statistics. Those are confidential and da-da-da-da-da. I said, well, you know, they're, they're shown at international events every year. They're thrown up on the screens. Look at the stats of, of number of square feet of buildings purchased, number of square feet of buildings polished, number of uh, uh, hours put in by OT committees to do such and such. These are stats that are ridiculous. I want expansion stats of the church. Well, those just aren't available. Truthfully, it was such a rebuff that I realized it's a dead horse. 
I'm not, I'm not pushing this list anymore. I'm not. I'm absolutely stymied in getting stats. I looked in different areas for over a year, actually. Was never shown stats. I had a volume of people come to, quote-unquote, handle me. I never even got into quality. Now, the quality control division is another one of those things that completely changed. Um, there was a day when if I had a question or I had a concern, I would go into the quality division, quality control. I'd go see the cramming officer, and I would write a cram on myself, or I would go in there on somebody else's cram. And uh, I never left the quality control division without feeling fantastic, without completely understanding what it was I needed to understand. That's their job. They, They correct the machine. They correct the products of the machine through word clearing and false data stripping or whatever tools they need. And you walk out of there shining, attesting, floating needle in the whole deal. I never got into qual the whole time I was getting this handling with the church. All I want to do is find out what policy you're operating on. Why is that a harmless question? Because this is the question LRH always told us to ask. And it made total sense to me. That if it's not in policy, it's not according to Hubbard. You know, I mean, right or wrong, policy is what we agree on. We agree that this is the way this organization works. And that's all recorded in policy. Uh So if they're doing something and you feel uneasy about it, or if you get an illegal order from a senior, you ask him, what policy are you operating on? And he is obliged to show you the policy. Because this game has already been figured out. We know how to boom this game. It's all there in the policies. And anybody who's been around for any period of time understands that. And qual is where we got full access to it. Mm -hmm. And we got correction. We got somebody to help us find our misunderstood words and so forth. I couldn't get into qual for the year of 2011. It completely stymied me. I, I don't know if, if I couldn't go in there because they didn't have any staff in there anymore because it wasn't considered necessary or what. But I kept hearing a lot about command intention. And command intention, I couldn't find it in any policy. It's not in the admin dictionary. Command int- what, what the hell is command intention? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and since you're examining the intentions of the group, Finding out what command intention is would be a very important thing, but you can't even find the definition of the word. Mm-hmm. So ethics had come, had not only failed, it had been greatly suppressed. Because people in the church, these managers, do not want you in the condition of power on any hat. All they want you to do is to sell IAS donations and ideal org uh, donations. That's, that's what they want you to do. So, in other words, what what had occurred is that there was the the agreement is you and I, and I I mean the royal you and I, agree that policy is something we agree upon, and we go these are the fundamental tenets of the things that we do together, and we're all in agreement on that. There's ARC, which equals understanding, and then there's a fundamental breakdown where policy has now been thrown out the window. Because of command intention, 
Thus, there is a hidden data line on what the real quote-unquote policy now is, which then becomes a withhold because you can't see it, correct? That's it. That's, that's in a nutshell what I've been saying for the last 45 minutes. It was very succinctly said, Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's, that's the way it is. It was clearly unethical activity going on. You couldn't get to the bottom of it because you couldn't get the data. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in fact, uh, I, I, in, in the process of doing my doubt formula, I had discovered, much to my surprise, that several years earlier, a CD had been circulated to the entire congregation. They said, put this into your computer and it will assist you in your searches for anything Scientological and it will keep end data sites off your lines. Yeah. And, and I suppose there were a number of people who robotically did this. Mm-hmm. But when I heard about this and verified it, I was astonished. Because this is Scientology. It's not about suppressing information. It's about exposing information. It's about releasing information. Mm -hmm. It's about getting information out. But this whole cadre of people in management were absolutely secretive and they wanted to stay that way. And I was was knocked sideways by that one. Right, so it lands... I knew this 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 is not the organization I joined in 1975. Right, so it lands squarely at the feet of the HCOB. What is a withhold? You know, I can't speak with any authority about that. I I remember distantly the reference, but but what particular segment are you referring to? Well, why would somebody withhold something if it was a pro-survival act? Oh, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. What is a withhold? And that is that was the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. And then the number of sec checks being used was completely out of hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way the, the way they would couch these sec checks that you know whatever you had reported, uh, what, how were you responsible for that? Well, actually, I didn't do it. I'm just reporting the fact that this verbal tech was used in this campaign to promote the ideal arts. Well, now what did you do to bring that about? It's like just trying to introvert me up my butt. And, of course, this is 180 degrees opposed to the tech. Every piece of the tech, ethics, tech, and admin, is designed to extrovert your attention, not introvert it. Mm -hmm. You might go in a little bit to find something and discharge it, which costs to be more greatly extroverted when you come back, Mm -hmm. when you come out of the session. But the whole purpose of what we do is to extrovert people, to recover them to their full awareness. It isn't a blunt awareness, which is what everything I was running into. I hate to give you a generality here, but there were so many things. Anyway, the ethics technology resolves, you know, there's confusion, it resolves uh, identity. And from confusion through the treason, the enemy, the doubt, you resolve beingness. And from doubt to affluence, you resolve the activity, the doingness, and then power is the havingness. Uh-huh. So you have be do have repeated again um, as as the fundamentals that we operate with. Uh-huh. Would it be but safe? Nobody looks at it like that, right? Would it be safe to say that they've just turned the whole thing 
upside down and the onus is upon you, not upon them. And, and to, to introvert, to place blame squarely at the feet of the people that, that are aiding them in surviving, uh, it, I mean, maybe I'm not putting it very well, but it sure seems like it's just inverted. I, I don't know about the inversion of it. I don't see an inversion particularly, but I do see, on the one hand, that everybody is 100% responsible mm -hmm. for this game. Mm -hmm. By saying DM did it, this, no, DM doesn't have the bandwidth to do all of this. The reason this came about is because every one of us allowed it to. Mm -hmm. I, I know there is nobody listening to this who had not observed outpoints over the years that they thought, no, why is that happening? But they didn't report it. They didn't see that it was corrected, you know, with the OCAs, with the FSM program. I was writing reports every single year with nothing happening. So I had to keep trying to fix this problem. It wasn't my hat to fix it, but it's my responsibility to at least see that the people who do fix things know about it. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, I wrote that thing up from 94 to 2008. The same report every year with minor alterations to the whole phone book of international terminals. Occasionally, I got a response. But the, the program never got fixed, despite the fact that many cramming officers crammed me, and every one of them agreed with me before they were removed from post. Mm -hmm. That happened to seven cramming officers. It was basically an ethics problem. There was somebody who was not operating according to the greatest good for the greatest number of dynamics, uh -huh. which is the whole purpose of ethics. So they to, were suppressing Scientology. So to summate, we've just passed the hour mark by a couple of minutes. To summate, where do okay. we where do we go from here as a field, and what do we do with this uh, hydra? that we're dealing with now, known as the Corporate Church of Scientology, and how can we apply ethics uh, to ourselves in the field? Do we need to apply it towards the church? Do we drop it and just go on and create another more uh, friendly, more ARC-ful uh, animal? Where do we go? On an individual basis, I think it would be a good piece of advice that each Scientologist applies the conditions to himself as a Scientologist. Find out that he is a Scientologist. What are the counterintentions that he has fallen prey to and agreed with that allowed this whole thing to come apart, or at least his part in it to come apart? Because there isn't anybody who, who left the church and then left Scientology who isn't responsible for his or her own condition. Mm -hmm. Now, for my part, I did a very thorough doubt formula. I, I published it. It actually went viral and, and got into the media and all kinds of things. And, um, and it delivered effective blows, the whole thing. But the fact is, I was out of the church. This is no longer my group. This is clearly an unethical activity. And it is intentionally that way. I, I resolved this for myself, and I resolved it by looking at enough facts where no doubt remains about that. Mm -hmm. In other words, I resolved my lower conditions in that regard. Mm -hmm. Now, there's an awful lot of people, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've met a number of them, who are still 
uh, bitching about the church. Oh, yes. Well, I would suggest these people honestly sit down and do real ethics conditions. Not as a penalty or as a crime, but as to just to sort out their identity. How did it get so tied up with all these things? What things did it get tied up with? And actually duplicate what was happening there. And suddenly the thing goes, wow. For me, the church is dead. The church is no longer an issue. I still have old and very dear friends that are in the church. And, um, you know, from time to time, I'll shoot them a communication. I never have gotten a response. Because, of course, that would be contrary to the current church intentions. The fact is the church is a squirrel group. You assign it a condition, and that's it. But the time you spend moaning about it, no, no, no. Because that's not Scientology. The church is not Scientology. Scientology lives and breathes. It's today. It's active. It's real. We can all apply it today. Uh, so just in a new unit of time, uh, pick up your meter, dust it off, uh, do some conditions, formulas, uh, figure out what your products are in your dynamics, just apply the basics of Scientology in your own life, and go forward with it. Scientology hasn't betrayed anybody. People uh, betray themselves by passing misunderstood words. And, you know, as I think uh, we mentioned earlier, Jonathan, nobody actually attacks Scientology. They only attack the misapplications of Scientology. Uh, and and that's, that's just the truth of it. Scientology is like the public library. Uh, it's not doing anything wrong. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's there for you to study or not. But why, 30 years after LRH left us, do people still matter about the guy? Mm -hmm. you follow? Well, what is this? There's something pushing that agenda. Right. There's a desperate force trying to do away with Scientology and any memory of it. And the only people today who actually have the complete technology besides those people in the field is the United States government. And they're using it for purposes for which it definitely was not intended.